0: Hi, my name is Jana Metzger. Welcome to The Gospel House. Our mission here at The Gospel House is to show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. That in the gospel, we can find all of our deepest needs met as the entire church responds to and applies the implications of the gospel. We would love to show it with you. Check out our website, www.thegospel.house, where you can learn more about us, find out how to connect with us, ask questions, See when and where our next meeting is, and give to help advance the gospel message of Jesus Christ.
1: Romans 1's a good one, isn't it? Woo! Heavy! Wowzers! So here we go. Um, I can actually remember when uh, I, I really felt like it was time for Elam and Juby to start reading the Bible. Uh, Elam and Jubi are my kids, if you don't know my kids, uh, but I, I started with Romans. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why, yep, Holy Spirit prompting. Um, but we got to Romans 1 and th- this passage and it was like, oh boy, I'm going to have a lot of vocabulary that I need to define for my children, so that was fun. Um, but Romans 1, here's the deal, y'all, uh, I have been in the church for a while, uh, I have heard Romans 1 preached from a couple of times. I have heard Romans 1 referenced more than a couple of times. And as I was studying it, I realized something. I don't think I have ever heard Romans 1 preached from the way that I'm going to preach from it today. Is anyone surprised by that? Jeremy, I'm such a hipster. I always you know, have to do things off the beaten path. But here's the deal, every time I have ever heard Romans 1 taught, every time I've ever heard Romans 1 referenced, and it gets referenced a lot, I have always heard it referenced in regard to Romans 1, look at Paul's warning to this heathen world around us. Romans 1, sin and degradation surrounds us, and we as Christians must remain pure in the face of such evil right? Anyone? Now listen, I'm not saying any of that is not true. It is true. We really should be protecting ourselves from the sin around us, right? But here is the thing. Audience matters. If I put my English teacher hat on for just a moment, when you are writing an essay, when you are reading a paper, one of the most important things for you to do is to remember the audience. Who was the letter of Romans written to? The world? Christians, right? Right? So when we look at this through the lens of audience, Paul is writing to Gentile and Jewish Christians, warning them about these things. I'm sorry, Paul is not writing to heathens, right? Paul is not writing to the world. This isn't a pamphlet that you hand out to non-believers and say, here, read this, and this will take care of all of your problems and convince you. That's not what it is, is it? Paul's letter is to Christians to say you need to live the way That Jesus lived and part of that is this Romans 1 so when Paul writes for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of people who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because that which is known about God is evident within them for God made it evident to them For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived, being understood by what has been made, so that they are without excuse. When the Bible tells us about the danger of sin, and this isn't just Romans 1, when the Bible tells us about the danger of sin, it is not doing so to tell us about the danger of sin in others. Can I get an amen? Where does the Bible always look first? Inside, right? When the Bible comes to you and tells you of the danger of sin, it first turns that magnifying glass back on you and says, this is the danger of sin in you. This is the danger of sin in all of us. So yes, verse 20 is important because what verse 20 here tells us, God's invisible attributes are such a way, the way that the world is set up, when you walk outside and see the uh, just pure awesomeness of creation, there is not a single person who can get to the end of their life and say, well, I was justified in not believing in God. False. False. We, we can mass look, I, I, I'm not trying to be seeker-sensitive here. You cannot get to the end of your life, the way that this world is set up, in perfect order. When you look at the laws of nature, how perfectly ordered they are, you cannot get to your end, the end of your life and say, yes, there, there's no such thing as God. No way. The Bible says right here, impossible. And those people are going to be without an argument when they stand before God and say, well, God, you never told me that you were real. God's gonna say, I told you every day you didn't wanna believe. And, and this is a rough truth for people, y'all. This is a rough truth. Because the fact of the matter is the majority of people who don't believe it is not for lack of evidence. They'll tell you it's for lack of evidence. They will say, well, I just, I just don't have enough proof. Baloney. You know how much proof they have for the Big Bang Theory? All of this came about from absolutely nothing. Two matter, two atoms collided and just produced all of this. You know how much evidence there is for that? Empirical evidence scientific evidence that can prove without a doubt that these t- the molecules... Co- do you know how much evidence there is for that? Not even close to as much evidence as there is for a divine creator. Because even within... Look, and here's the thing, Christian. <laughs> don't throw your stones. Here's the thing. There's nothing in the Bible that says that God and the Big Bang Theory can't, can't exist. That they can't, they can't coexist together. I personally don't buy it. Pastor Jeremy, I'm not endorsing it. I don't think it happened. But but there's nothing in the Bible that says that that's not how God did it, that God didn't say, hey, let's bang it, boom, collide the molecules together and then guide everything and create exactly what He created. No, there's nothing to say that that's not how He did it. The Big Bang, his, the the molecules were His hands, right, and He slapped them together. And the, I'm just that's speculation. Okay, but here's the thing: people who say there's no evidence for God there's just as equal a lack of evidence on the other side of this. To go back and prove either way, the burden of proof is on both, right? People will say, well, prove to me that God exists. Prove to me he doesn't. And when you step outside and look at nature, and there's a ton of theologians and people who have defended this way better than I can. That's not what this sermon's about today. But when you step outside and look at nature, when you look at the laws of gravity and and how everything is in perfect order. Y'all, we know better than that, don't we? Something does not come from nothing. Nowhere in creation does that ever happen. If I hold my hand out here for billions and billions of years, a cheeseburger does not materialize. We know this. So why do we pretend that that's how the cosmos came to be? And God says that's all it is, is pretending. Because underneath there, I promise every time, you say it's lack of evidence, but every time there's something else underneath. Well, I prayed when I was a kid and God didn't answer the prayer that I wanted. Ah, well, there's this girl that I like and I would really love to sleep with her. And God says I can't do that. So I don't believe in him. Ah, right? Right. We don't like that because that's an inconvenience, inconvenient truth. But that's what we do as humans. And Christian, don't pretend you're any better, because you do the same thing. We're going to get there. How could we not with such a powerful Romans 1, right? But here's the thing. We have got to preach the whole gospel. And as Christians, we must believe the whole gospel. And the gospel turns it on ourselves first. It is easy to look at Romans 1 and to point the finger at the world, isn't it? And church, Western church has gotten really good at this. Unfortunately, that's not how the gospel works, ever, anywhere. The gospel always starts with you pointing the finger here first. You must look inside yourself first, and you must wrestle with the weight of sin. The fact of the matter is sin has a weight and we have to wrestle with it. If we refuse to wrestle with the weight of sin, we are doomed before we even start on this journey with Jesus. And I think, honestly, y'all, I think that this is our problem in the Western world today. I think this is the problem with the church today. We do not, we do not look at the weight of sin enough we gloss over sin right because when we get to the gospel jesus paid for our sin let's talk about the good stuff right Right. jesus paid for our sin so we can walk in ultimate healing jesus paid for our sin so we can walk in prophecy jesus paid for our sin so we can and we talk about all the things over here but when we gloss over sin we don't feel the weight of it When we just throw it under the rug and, oh, uh, Jesus paid for it, Jesus paid for it, Jesus paid for it. it. It cheapens what Jesus did. We lose it because we don't see how serious it is. And is it any wonder that Christians today run around keeping all of the fun sins in their pockets? Holding on to all the fun sins well, I could stop looking at pornography, but Jesus forgives it anyway, so I'm just going to keep dabbling in it. It doesn't hurt anybody anyway. Right? And we keep those things around because we don't see the weight of it. But if we wrestle with the weight, then we can truly walk into the gospel. But we got to wrestle, y'all, so that's what we're doing. That's why Paul wrote this. That's why he started this letter to the Romans with it, right? He's saying, church, wake up. Look at how serious this sin is and wrestle with it. So we'll wrestle. Today we're going to look at the start of sin, and then we will look at how that sin unravels in our lives. And then ultimately, thankfully, we as believers in Christ, to live the resurrection life that we talked about, talk about, say that we live, we look at the end of sin. This is the start of the gospel, and so we've got to do this right, y'all. We cannot even begin to start walking in the resurrection life that Jesus paid for us, let alone live in the power of the resurrection, if we don't take the first step of the gospel, and recognize the weight that sin has in our lives. So first, let's look at where it starts. Where does sin start? And it's a whole lot easier than we make it out to be. We, we humans are so good at painting gray areas, aren't we? Right? y'all. I mean, for every argument in the book, you all know all the arguments, right? We make them super, super complicated, and make as many shades of gray as we can in it. Because gray gives us wiggle room if it's not black and white, right? We love wiggle room. God doesn't give us wiggle room. Paul says this in Romans 1. He says, for even though they knew God. Let's, let's draw attention to this one more time. Does the world know God? It doesn't, right? At least it says it doesn't. It doesn't have excuse. So who's Paul writing to? Me, right? Even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their reasoning and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Here it is, y'all. Sin starts where God ends. Pretty simple, right? Pretty clear definition. Sin starts where God ends. God cannot be around sin. So clearly, where there is no God, sin reigns, right? There's no stop to it. Stop me if you've heard this before. There's God's way and there's man's way right? You guys are going to be able to finish that before I start it, right? There's God's way and there's man's way. We've talked about God says, Jesus says, the straight and narrow, right? That's because there's one way. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Every other way is sin we've got this messed up idea that sin is doing bad stuff. That's a shade of gray, y'all. Sin is deliberately breaking the Ten Commandments. But y'all, it's so much worse than that. (laughs) It is so much easier to sin than that. Because if God's way is this straight and narrow path, then he is not on any of this other wide path that leads to destruction which makes it sin we are instructed over and over again in the New Testament as New Testament Testament believers to walk in the spirit right Right. ladies and gentlemen guess what path the Holy Spirit is on straight and narrow right I'll I'll do it Glenn and Nicole are getting all the straight and narrow and you all are in the sin (laughs) Over here, I'm not calling them out. Like, here, let's, we'll flip it just so you guys don't feel so bad. Mark's got it now. Mark and Karen, there we go. Straight and narrow, right? The Holy Spirit will only lead you down the straight and narrow. Nowhere else. Sin starts where God ends. Because when we step out of the Spirit and decide, ah, 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 Holy Spirit, this is a worship song I really like. I know how to do this one. We're not walking with him anymore because the Holy Spirit says, actually, I don't want you to sing this song today, Jeremy. I want you to zip it and listen to me. Oh, huh. really? No, God would never want that. He wants me to declare his praises boldly. Okay, Jeremy, do it your way then. Worship me your way. That goes over real well in the Old Testament Anytime they do that. That was sarcasm. It doesn't. In the Old Testament, you just get killed. You know, God just strikes you with lightning, and God needs to bring that method back, I think. Just kidding, because I'd be dead a long time ago. But y'all, we've got to get over this idea that there's this self-sufficient version of Christianity, that there's this version of Christianity that I can walk in in my own strength. You cannot please God in your own strength. You can't. And and y'all, a definition of sin that we don't like is anything that doesn't please God, which means anything I do in my own strength without him leading me. We have got to get back to this level of dependence with God. See, we as Christians say we know God, right? That's what we say. We say we know God, but we don't honor him as God. And y'all, that is the dumbest thing we could possibly do. I mean, think about this. As a Christian, what do we say? What do we say we believe? We know God, an infinite being who holds the keys to the entire universe. He controls absolutely everything. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is everywhere at once. He is the most powerful, most perfect, most holy being that has ever been right right and then we as christians tell this all-powerful all-knowing perfect holy beautiful god get in the passenger seat if we're being real honest we say get in the trunk and don't make a ton of noise right we put him in our back pocket and pull him out when we need him when I'm feeling down about myself, I pull him out for encouragement. The God of the universe, that's how we're going to treat him? Y'all, if, and, and, and let's, let's be clear, God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, all one, right? All level. Christians, the Spirit-filled Christians, You have God living inside of you. Unlimited access, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. He never goes away. And I'm going to sit here and pretend that I can do better? I don't want to drive that car, right? We think over and over again that we can do this on our own. But we can't. We're fools, we think we're wise, right? Western culture thinks it's the smartest culture in the history of mankind. We have never been more civilized and intelligent as we are today. So if there's any culture who can go their own way, it's us, right? Y'all seen how many school shootings there have been lately? Have you all seen? I mean, we can't even agree with what a male or female is biologically anymore. Right? We can't even agree when a life begins. We paint these gray areas in our intelligence, and really all we're doing is proving what big idiots we are. Over and over again. If you're asking me, 2,000 years ago, Paul nailed us, right? That's what happens when you listen to the Spirit. God knows us better than we know ourselves, doesn't he? We claim to be wise, but sin has darkened our hearts and made us absolute fools. And the root of that comes in what Paul says next says they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible mankind. Skipping ahead to verse 25, he says, they exchanged the truth of God for falsehood and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. There's a really cool lesson that that we can learn about glory, and it actually comes from the Hebrew language. Now, just to clarify, this is not written in Hebrew. This passage was written in Greek, Paul writing to the Romans. It's, it's all in Greek. That's the original language. But the lesson still remains. Because every time the Hebrew word for glory, kabod, is used, it me- literally is translated into weight. That's what it literally means. There is a weight. So when God comes, now a science lesson for you all. I hated science. I'm not a science person. But here's a science lesson for you. There's this thing called matter displacement theory. Science nerds, you know what I'm talking about. Matter displacement theory. So matter displacement theory says that when an object of greater mass comes and occupies a space, all objects with lesser mass must move. Right? Read the Old Testament. Every time God's glory falls, God's weight falls, everything else Moves. It is significant that every time God's glory falls in the Old Testament, there is an earthquake because the earth is smart and we are dumb. The earth moves, right? God's glory, God's weight is so heavy that the earth itself shakes when he comes on the scene. And we silly Christians pretend that when God's glory falls, we're going to be skipping and jumping in his presence. Nowhere, y'all. Read scripture. Read interactions with God. Anytime his glory falls, the people are on their faces. They move because the weight of God is so heavy. But here is what's dangerous. I love this lesson. That's, That's cool, right? We love that. God's glory has weight to it, and that weight is so heavy that it can pull you, right? And it draws you into him, like like planets in orbit, right? And it pulls you into him. But here's what's terrifying about that lesson. There is another glory in this story, isn't there? Because Paul says they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible mankind. They traded God's weight and allowed themselves to be pulled by the weight of sin instead. Christian, that is terrifying. Sin has a weight to it. And here's the thing. It doesn't take giving in to sin for that weight to grab you, all it takes is not giving glory to God. The second you stop giving God thanks and glory is the second you start getting pulled away from Him. And it gets harder to harder. And we see it, don't we? Right? When we start thinking, oh, huh, the Gospel House Church, look at what my hands have made. Ooh, boy. Y'all, I can tell you, if you ever hear those words come out of my mouth, you go find a different church, because that's the beginning of the end. We might grow to a church of 5,000 people, but y'all, Lord, won't be here. Because once you stop giving glory to God, you start getting pulled by another weight, and it's not a good weight. They call it idolatry, right? We've got to be careful, y'all, because it's not just bad stuff. Right? We, lots of times we talk about idolatry and we think of little stone statues and Roman gods and all that stuff. Y'all, it's so much more dangerous than that. So much more dangerous. The most dangerous idols in your life are the good things. Your family, your spouse, your children, your job, your career. You know, we like to say, oh, it's money. You know, money is the root of all evil. Y- y- y'all, you can make career and idle just as easily as money where you run after the promotion where you run after you stop giving glory to god and you start running after all of the wrong things they all start to pull you and here is the problem y'all this is the start to sin right but it gets so much worse because once sin starts we see it completely unravel. That's what we see in Romans. This is the cheery part of Romans 1, right? We'll fly through it. God gave them up to vile impurity and the lusts of their hearts so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. They exchanged the truth of God for falsehood, worshiped and served the creature rather than create the creator who is blessed forever, amen. For this reason, God gave them over To degrading passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for that which is contrary to nature. And likewise, the men too abandoned natural relations with women and burned in their desire toward one another, males with males committing shameful acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a depraved mind to do those things that are not proper. People having been filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, and evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice, they are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parent, without understanding, untrustworthy, unfeeling, and unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Now listen, I am going to warn you, and I am going to do this any time we ever get to any list like this in the Bible. Any time we read sin lists, there is a dangerous tendency to point at every sin on that list except for the one that you struggle with. Right? Christian, you cannot do that. Because the popular thing to do, especially in our cultural climate, is to point at this list and see, homosexuality is so evil. It's, it's the worst one up there. Hmm. Do not... Don't you dare rag on homosexuality as a sin and then go dishonor your parents who you haven't talked to for years. Right? Don't you dare highlight murder. See, look, murderers. They're all evil. Kill them all. They don't even deserve a second chance. Just kill them if you're not going to talk about the greed that exists in your life. Y'all, you can 10% all you want on that greed. It's not going to make it any less greed E, Some word. Right? If you're going to look at the list, look at all of the list. Because the last time I checked, Jesus paid for every sin. Right? When he died on the cross, he covered every single one of them. And so his blood either covers all or it covers none. Which means that we extend grace to all, right? Also means you've got to give them up. If you're going to walk with Jesus, don't walk around and convince yourself that because you don't murder people that you're good, right? It's, it's an all or nothing thing if you are guilty of one of those things that we just listed, you need Jesus. And here's the truth of the Bible. We're all guilty of at least one of those things that Paul listed, right? We need Jesus, which is why it's so vital that we walk in the Spirit. Paul hits every single one of them, but do you guys see how quickly the wheels come off the bus? Sin starts... We stop acknowledging God as who he is. We stop walking in this path and we start walking in this one and look at how quickly it all unravels. The second that God takes his hand off the wheel, the steering wheel of your life, y'all are, we're in trouble, right? The second we reach over from the passenger seat and say, nope, God, you missed your turn. You forgot, we need to go this way. You're in trouble, y'all, right? We humans love to think that we're in control. We love to think that we know best, that we can chart our course, that we can craft our future, right? right? Leadership culture, right? Core values and smart goals and leadership training, and we can do anything, right? My leadership culture says follow the Holy Spirit. Do that. But how much do we focus on our crafting? Right? It's like I said earlier, you stick God in the back pocket, and when you need him, you know, we'll pull him out. But until then, it's my life, right? Right? It's more comfortable that way if we're being honest because then I don't have to check in with anybody. God can never tell me to do something I don't want to do if he's muffled in my back pocket, right? But we can't treat the God of the universe that way. If we're truly blessed, we'll realize how out of control in this life we truly are, right? Jana actually sent me this picture this week. It had absolutely nothing to do with this sermon. uh, She didn't know I was going to include it in this sermon. Uh, I don't know if you'll be able to see it, but we're going to try. Oops, too far. There we go. Can you guys see that? that, Does that show clearly, kind of clearly? Let me explain to you what you're seeing, just in case you can't see it. This is a picture of a blue whale. I love blue whales. Blue whales are my favorite animal just because they're enormous. So when we have trivia and you're asked, what's your pastor's favorite animal? Now you know, blue whales. We can have lots of discussions about blue whales, though I actually know very little about them. Um, Except they're big, so that's why I like them. But here's the thing, this picture. There's a tiny little boat up there. Can you guys see the little boat? Y'all, have you ever seen anything that makes you feel more out of control of your life than that picture right there? like I and I, I wish I knew more about the picture. I don't even know if those people in that boat even knew that that whale was under them at that moment. But y'all you realize how many blue whales we have in our lives? How many things that we have where we're rowing our little boat and we th- you can you can't even see the big picture. Look at that thing. At any I mean you guys ever seen Pinocchio? You guys remember Pinocchio where the whale comes and swallows it? like you kidding me? Yeah, I believe it. Pinocchio is not a real story, it's, it's just a story. I'm not saying it's real, but, you know, like you could get swallowed by that thing, right? I mean, any moment. We've, we, I've referenced this sermon a lot, but Jonathan Edwards gives that sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, right? And, and, and he says so aptly that it's only by God's grace that we don't walk out these doors and the earth just swallow us whole. Y'all, we have no idea how many blue whales there are in our lives. We have no idea. We we love to think that we're the center of the universe, and you know we're rowing our little boats and we control everything and we got the rudder and some of us got the engines, you know, and we're going right along. You don't control anything. You don't control anything, because under the surface, even when you can't see it, right? That's what he's saying. Even when you can't see it, he's working good and sometimes not so good right here's the thing and y'all this is this is where we as the western church we've goofed this because we convince ourselves that we are blessed when everything goes our way and we get to do what we want and we get to go our way and nobody bothers us and everything comes up roses and we got blessing on blessing on blessing y'all the more i walk in this life the more i'm convinced that is not blessing i'm convinced more and more that that is a curse Because you get everything you want and there is absolutely nothing to disrupt you from this absolute lie that you have control over your life. Because those of us who are blessed, nobody will tell you you're blessed by this, but those of us who are blessed, we have storms. We have junk that hits the fan. And when those things happen, it makes you realize, holy cow, I have no control over my life. And those of us who are blessed take those storms and we turn and we say, God, I worship you because you are in control of this life. We look at Job and and the story of Job. You know, Job's the guy that loses everything in the Bible. And then at the end, he gets double back everything he lost. And we say, oh, look, look at that blessing he got at the end. Uh Uh-uh. Job got the blessing when everything was taken. Because when everything was taken, he found God. And he realized, I don't hold the keys. You know why God gave him double back? Because God knew from that moment forward, Job would never grab that wheel again. Y'all, when God takes everything from you, when you don't understand it, when you don't see it, when you don't get it, when God takes everything, you fall into his hands. And you say, God, I will never take control of this wheel again. I am yours, Lord, wherever you want to go. That is blessing because this world isn't where it is. This world isn't what we're living for. It's the next one. And y'all, I don't know why God puts us through the situations he puts us through. I can talk to every single one of you here, and I know every single one of you's got a story. Every single one of you's got a storm. And I can't tell you why. But you know what I can tell you? I can tell you that I have walked through enough storms and God has always worked them together for my good. That even when I'm walking in the midst of one and I don't see the end, I can trust that God is good. And I can trust that God has a purpose if I will just follow him through the storm. And he will be with you through all of it, through every bit of it but we have got to let go of this idea that we're in control. We've got to let go of this idea that we know what we're doing. But y'all, that's the problem with sin, isn't it? We're, we're descendants of Adam and Eve, so it makes sense that, that we struggle with this. Adam and Eve were the first ones to think they had control of their own lives, right? And so it makes sense that now every single descendant from here on out thinks that we're in control of our lives. And we think that was sin too, don't we? Talk to anyone who's addicted to anything. It always starts with you in control, doesn't it? Well, yeah, you know, I'm a Christian and I drink, but I can control it. I got I'm completely, I'm in complete control over how much alcohol I consume. Maybe. And, and that's not a plug to say that you can't be a Christian and drink. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying, every addiction starts like that. You talk to somebody who's hooked on meth. You talk to somebody who's hooked on whatever it is, pornography, wh- whatever. You know, again, don't pick, don't pick the addictions that you, you know, oh, yeah, look at all those addictions that I don't struggle with. Pick the one you struggle with. I promise you it started with you in control, didn't it? Well, I'm just going to do this for a little bit. I just need this to just get me over this hump. I just need this to relax at night, and then I'm I'm, then I'm good. But you know, once I once I this happens, once I get married, once I once this life event happens, I'll be good. I'll be good. You always think you're in control, but sin won't let you stay in control. That's that's what it does, y'all. Sin is a living thing, and you can't just hold on to sin seeds and keep them as your little pets, right? Those of you who have seen the Veggie tales with the bad apple, right? We know this from Veggie tales, right? <laughs> Those of you who have read your Bible know it from a much more credible source. Sin doesn't stay put, does it? It grows. Here's the other lie about sin, y'all. Sin is not an individual thing. I've, I've hit on this before, but there is no such thing as an individual sin. You can convince yourself that because you do it in a dark room, because you do it when nobody sees, well, yeah, but pastor, when I smoke, I always go outside my house so my kids don't see. There is no such thing as a secret sin. Every single sin, y'all, I bring in with me to church, and I bring into this body of Christ. Every sin in my life that I let hang around, I bring into the corporate body of Christ that is his church. Because every sin is a sin against Christ's body, right? And so every sin, y'all, there is no secret sin. There is no such thing as a secret sin. That's what Paul says here. That's how sin unravels. And sin doesn't grow on convenient growth charts, right? Well, if, if, if I do X and then there's Z coordinate and so sin will grow here. So if I do this, it'll go down. It's not how it works. It grows exponentially. It expands, and you cannot control it. No matter how much you think you have your sin under control, you cannot control it. You can minimize it all you want. You can point the finger, well, my sin's not that bad, right? There's so many people who are so much worse sinners than I am. Deep down, I'm a, I'm a pretty good person, right? God wouldn't want me to to do all this stuff. He wants me to take charge of my own life, right? We view God as this, like, annoyed parent who's sitting on the couch and doesn't want to be bothered. <laughs> you kidding me? Right? Well, he's had a busy day answering prayers in Africa of starving children, so he doesn't, he doesn't care what's going on. Stop, y'all. God doesn't expend energy like we do. God doesn't get home from work and think, oh, I'm pooped. I need to sit down on the couch and take a nap. That's not how he works. He wants to be involved in every decision you make. He wants to drive the car on every decision you make. The way we bring glory to God is by giving everything to him, by being completely and totally dependent upon him. We convince ourselves, right, God gave me this intellect, so it's it's offensive to God if I don't use my intellect and chart my own. Jesus didn't die for your intellect, y'all. Did you know that? Jesus didn't die to make you smarter. Jesus died to bring you into unity with God. Jesus died to give you unlimited access to the Holy Spirit. That access isn't so that you can bring the Holy Spirit out when you want to impress your friends at a party. So you can turn water into wine and do miracles that make people, ooh, magic. That's not why Jesus died. Jesus died to give you access to the Holy Spirit, to live a Spirit-filled life every day. And as it turns out, that is the end of sin. So I pounded you with those points, right? You feel sufficiently pounded? sufficiently crushed right Paul's a lot nicer than I am he actually starts with the good stuff I like to save it to the end I always make point three if you guys haven't noticed that's my gospel hammer I always bring in the gospel hammer on point three right pound and pound and pound and then the gospel hammer comes in and ah, everybody feels great walking out right Paul doesn't do that Paul says from the very beginning here is the hope this is the hope how do we put an end to sin We don't, right? That's what the gospel says, right? You can't, but Jesus did, and he will through the Holy Spirit in you. Paul says this, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, As it is written, but the righteous one will live by faith. Look at the gospel, y'all. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel is the righteousness of God revealed from faith. But ladies and gentlemen, if we say we believe the gospel, we must live by faith. We have to stop living man's way. This requires putting an end to sin. We must stop living in sin. Talked about that story last week right jesus and the story of lazarus where jesus raises lazarus from the dead and immediately says take those grave clothes off of him we run around post-resurrection raised to new life by jesus with our grave clothes still on we've got christians running around who still smell like they're dead because they won't let go of their sin. They keep those grave clothes on and and so we've got free Christians who say they're free and they're waddling around still wrapped up like they're fresh from the tomb. Take it off. Take it off. Y'all have been here for a minute so I know you've heard this before. Jesus Christ has set you free and he has given you the power to never sin again. Our problem is we don't walk in it. We choose to walk our way. We think we know better than the Spirit. And (laughs) y'all, I'm not sitting up here telling you it's easy. This is the hardest thing you will ever do because it requires moment by moment surrender. Every moment of your day, you have to live surrendered to the Holy Spirit. Every single second. And that is hard. Because we've got a culture who pulls us the other way, right? If you're not being pulled by the glory of God, you're being pulled by everything else, right? So our culture says, worship yourself. You need me time. Go get on your phone and unplug for a little bit. Put your feet up. Watch Netflix, right? That's what the world says you need. If you're struggling, you just need more self-confidence. That's not what Jesus says, y'all. Jesus says if you're struggling, you've got too much self and you need to let go of it and trust him. That's an inconvenient truth for us. We've got a lot of Christians who run around saying that they're spirit-filled because they prophesy and they heal people. and they. You know, I'm not saying that's not what being spirit-filled is, but I'm saying being spirit-filled, the first priority, what's it say? What's Paul say? Don't take my words for it. What's it say? The gospel is for what? For you to run around and heal people? Nope. The gospel is for you to build up your ministry and have a great preaching ministry? Nope. For you to have a great evangelical ministry where you go? Nope, 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 nope. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. All of that other stuff, all of the other stuff, healing, prophecy, gifts, all of it. If it's not for salvation, it's not from God. And that's not a spirit-filled life. And salvation starts where? With me. It starts with you first. And salvation, y'all, salvation is a one and done. Yes, we are progressively being sanctified, looking more like Jesus, but y'all, when Jesus died, We don't keep putting him up on the cross, right? He died once for all. He saved you from your sins now. And y'all, there is a way. I'm a broken record. There is a way for us to stop living in sin. There's God's way and there's man's way. If we would just walk in God's way, we can leave this life of sin behind us. Don't you want to do that? And it all starts with the glory of God. It all starts with letting that weight be what pulls us. Right? We've, we've talked about this, but it's that experience with the resurrected Jesus. Until you see how glorious God truly is, then everything else in life will continue to pull you until you see, because that's that's the struggle, right? When we talk about wrestling with sin, that's the struggle. Y'all, sin wouldn't be tempting if it wasn't fun, right? Sin wouldn't be tempting if there wasn't a draw to it. So I don't know what your sin is. You don't have to come up here and tell me either. You can if you want, but I mean, it's not a requirement of today's message. I don't need to know, because sin is sin, and all sin acts the same. And so when sin has that weight and pulls you, what that means is that in some way, the sin is more glorious to you than God. So how do you beat that? You don't, again, right? The Holy Spirit needs to show you God's glory. God's glory needs to fall in your life in a way that that sin, there's no more weight to it. Y'all, again, that matter displacement, right? When God's glory falls, it cuts off everything of that old life. And all of a sudden, you run after what the Holy Spirit is calling you to do because you've tasted and seen how glorious your God is. And that weight pulls you. Right? That's what we need to pray for. I'm going to scrap the rest of this. Let's pray. Jesus, Holy Spirit, we need your glory to fall. God, we need you to show us how glorious you are like only you can and so f- father I pray right now that as, as we as we sing this last worship song as we sit and listen and reflect Holy Spirit move in our hearts God show us the weight of your glory God show us that that Kavad, that that glory that just falls and god i pray everything else in our life would move god that you would cut the chains off of these sins that are entangling us these things that we've convinced ourselves are little and under our control and i pray that you would fall that your glory would fall in such a way that it would shatter those chains that the strongholds that the enemy has in our lives would just be raised to the ground. And that as the dust settles and the smoke clears, that we would look up into the eyes of our glorious Savior. Holy Spirit, that we would see the gospel so clearly as if for the first time and we would run in obedience to you, Holy Spirit. God, I pray just for a boldness as we go throughout our week. I pray for a sensitivity to your voice that we would hear and we would run with everything we have knowing that the God of all the universe is living inside of us empowering us to do exactly what you've called us to do. Holy Spirit, move in us like never before as we surrender to your perfect will. God, show us your glory. And it's only by the grace of Jesus that we pray this.
0: Thank you for listening to the Gospel House podcast. We pray that you were pointed to Jesus and will apply what you learned to look more like him each and every day. If you found today's message impactful, do us a favor and hit the follow button. Leave us a rating and write up a review to help others find our podcast. You can also help us by sharing the podcast so that together we can show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Head to our website, www.thegospel.house slash connect. Fill out the form and someone from our Gospel House family will connect with you. God bless you and remember, the gospel of Jesus Christ is always enough.